Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message is the epistle lesson. Peter saying, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I find it interesting that certain professions you become the expert in your family, right? If you're an auto mechanic, if your brother or sister has a car problem, who do they call? You, right? If you're a nurse, if someone in the family is sick, who do they call? You. My brother Bill is a lawyer. If I have a legal question, who do I call? Him. And that also works for pastors. You become kind of the theological expert of the family. But it's not only true if that's your profession, but just if you're good at it, right? There are many people who are good mechanics, even if that's not the profession, and others call upon them. And it's also true about being a Christian, that, that Peter, as he speaks, is assuming that you are, as a child of God, going to be questioned about your faith. And he tells you to be prepared. Are you? Are you prepared to give an account for the faith that lies within you, the hope that you have? That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to take the Paul's admonition, or Peter's admonition to us, and look at what it means. And, and uh, I have this, it may sound a little bit complicated, but I have an outline in the bulletin that will hopefully make sense to you. But, but the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at, first of all, what Peter says, how we are to be prepared. And then we're going to do two case studies. We're going to go over two questions that I've been asked down through the years, and we're going to use what Peter applies, or tells us to do, and apply it in answering the questions. So that's completely muddled, but we'll go ahead. Um, so, 1 Peter 1, 3, verse 15, again, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. So the question, obviously, is, well, how do we make a defense? How can we be prepared to make a defense? Well, well Peter helps us in the context, right? The, the, that he's, there's two things that Peter says, one before and one after. Before he says, regard Christ as Lord as holy. And then he says, do it with gentleness and with respect. We're going to take these two things and, and understand that this is how we are to be prepared to give a defense. And the first one, um, it says, Peter says in, in our version today, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Other translations have it put this way, and I think this is a little bit more accurate to, the, to what Peter is getting at. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So if you're going to be prepared to give a defense or an account of the faith that you have within you, it starts by recognizing that, that Christ is Lord that we regard Him as Lord. So the defense is recognizing that Christ is above all things and we rely upon Him, not ourselves. When we're trying to answer a question, it's not based on our wisdom, our understanding, our thoughts, our preference. It's based on what God has revealed. So if we're going to rely upon Him, we're going to rely upon His Word. Our defense is based on the Word of God because that's where there is power and that's where there is life. But notice also that Peter is very careful to say, do it with gentleness and respect. Peter knows our sinful nature, doesn't he? That, that our sinful nature wants to give a defense, but our human nature wants to focus on us. And how many times when we're answering a question theologically, does it then become a debate? And boy, once we're in a debate, what do we want to do? We want to win the debate, right? We, we want to succeed in, in, in convincing and in, in, in win the, 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 the debate. But we're to remember... That, that the whole reason of giving the defense or an account of the hope that lies within us 
is to bring others to faith or to encourage them to faith. That, that's a different angle at going at an explanation. And so, so these are the two principles. First of all, to sanctify Christ as Lord, and then to do it with gentleness and kindness. Now we're going to have a couple of case studies. There have been asked many questions down through my years, and the first one I'm going to go back to high school. Um, it's Monday after football practice. I've taken off my pads, and Jim Schrader is in the locker next to me. And he goes, Steve, why do we say Jesus to send him to hell? Well, what's going on there? Now, that may seem strange to you to have a football conversation like that. But keep in mind, I have made known to everybody in my life since the time I was three I was going to be a pastor. And so whenever there was a theological question wherever I was, whether it's at the playground or part of a team or at home or even at the workplace among bricklayers, people would ask me a question. The other thing is, is that Jim was in my confirmation class. We grew up together. And so he had a question. Well, I'll just ask Steve. And so, again, th and this question always comes to my mind when I read this passage from 1 Peter because I wasn't prepared. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, I think both Jim and I were asleep when Pastor Trapp explained that in our confirmation that day. <laughs> and, and so, but, but again, so, so let's apply it. But I got this question a lot down through the years. In fact, it just it came up again this last Wednesday in the Bible study. So it is a question. What, what, what is it? Why did Jesus descend into hell? So uh, again, how do we answer that? Well, Peter tells us to be prepared. And, and we be prepared in the first part of being prepared is sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. And when you sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, you recognize what you do not know. You realize that you don't know everything. And so when Jim asked the question, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Let me get back to you. And so I went home and called Pastor Trapp. Pastor Trapp gave me the answer. So next day I practiced, I explained it to Jim as best I could. Uh, but, but again, it's recognizing what your limitations are. And that's sometimes difficult for us, right? Because to admit that you don't know, we, we, we kind of like to be the one who knows. We kind of like to don't have the like to have that image that, that we might not know that it's some sort of shortcoming, and, and yet it's not. Keep in mind, we're human, and as human, we don't know everything. Adam and Eve, even as they were perfect, did not know everything. And there are passages in Scripture that tell us even in heaven, we're not going to know absolutely everything. We're not God. We're going to continue to grow in knowledge. We are perfect without sin in heaven, but we are not gods. And so we don't know everything. And the other problem is that as human beings in this world, we're sinners. And that which we do know, that's corrupted. It isn't clear. And so there are going to be lots of things that we do not know. And so when we sanctify Christ as Lord, then we turn to his word. We rely upon him for the answer. And that's what we do here. We look at the word which is not corrupt, and, and it's interesting that in this text, Peter explains. This is the text by which is based that we just confessed that Jesus descended into hell. And Peter explains that. He says that Jesus was put to death, but then he says that Jesus was made alive in the spirit and then went into hell. So therefore, it's not part of his suffering. His descent into hell isn't to suffer for sins. His suffering is done. It ends on his death. He, he says it is finished on the cross. It, it is complete. He, he is going down there to demonstrate his victory over death. And even to speak of his victory over death. Because Peter says, he proclaimed the spirits in prison. That word proclaimed is, is not to preach. It's not evangelism. It's, it's not a proclamation to bring about repentance. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a word to announce. 
and to proclaim. The best example I can give you, I've been here 25 years, there's a football game at the end of November that, that is played. And for 20 of those 25 years since I've been here, people have come through and reminded me the score of the day before. Even as if I didn't know my team lost. The, the, the victor proclaims that, that they have won. And it's even more for our Lord that, that he's not just going down to, to say that they lost, but to demonstrate his victory over death. Who goes down to hell and comes back? Only the one who's conquered sin. Only the one who's conquered death. Only the one who has conquered Satan. And this is an important part of the resurrected Lord. He has conquered sin, death, and the devil for you so that you don't have to be afraid. So when we confess that he's descended into hell, we confess that he has victory, our victory, a victory that brings us life and a victory that brings us salvation. And again, we, we can give them this answer to explain what this is all about. But again, we do it with, with gentleness and respect. And in this case, that was easy. Jim was just asking for help, right? He, he, he wasn't trying to, we weren't in an argument or anything. We, we were combined ignorance. We were just looking for the same answer. And it's important that we're prepared to give that answer. Because people are searching. And that to me is really scary because where do people search today? If you have to fix something in the home, what do you do? And you're not surely sure where you go, what to do. The internet, right? YouTube. So if people are Googling God and Googling salvation, what kind of answers are they getting? So as we speak with gentleness and respect, as we are prepared, we're pointing people to a truth, a truth that brings life, a truth that brings salvation. And this is our goal. God wants all people to be saved, and this enables us to do this. Okay, so that was case study number one. Case study number two. I'm, and this has been, been in Ohio. I have a member who's, basic, who's, who's dying, and the family is gathered in the room to comfort one another. And sometimes you're there for a little while, and conversation comes up, and you talk about different things. And the daughter-in-law, the member, doesn't belong to a Lutheran church, different church, different denomination. And so we get into a discussion about the differences. And one of the things we get into a discussion about is baptism. And at one point in the conversation, she turns to me and says, you don't really believe baptism saves you, do you? And I say, well, Peter did. That's the text here, right? Baptism now saves you. And, and so this is one of the questions that I get very often. What is it that we believe about baptism? How do I explain that to my friends and family that, that don't have the, quite the same understanding? And so, again, this is a time that we need to be prepared to give an answer. And we do it first and foremost by sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts. We rely upon the Word of God. And we trust in that. And, and then, really, there's two levels to this, right? First of all, there's the immediate context. What, what does the text say around the subject that we're, we're looking at. And again, in the same text in 1 Peter, there's an answer for this, right? Peter speaks about the saving of Noah and his family as something pointing to, to baptism. And, and just as the water lifted Noah and his family up in the ark, Peter says, baptism now saves you. And he goes on in this immediate context to explain that it's more than just symbolic. Because he even goes on to say it's, it's not the removal of dirt from the person. It's an appeal to a clear conscience. That it's not just something on the surface. That in baptism, God is saving and, he's, and it's not on the surface. It's something deeper. 
It's a cleansing of the soul. It's a cleansing of a conscience. How is a conscience going to be clear before God unless that conscience is forgiven, unless that sin is washed away, unless they are made holy? And that's what baptism does for you and for me, that, that in our baptism we have been made clean, we have been made holy. And Peter goes on to explain that this isn't just because you do it. It's, it's not an act that you do, in fact. He ties it and he says it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that this baptism that saves is a work of Christ, not a work of man. It's a work of God. And that's why it's such an important part, that, that God can actually bring salvation, bring the gift of the Holy Spirit to, to forgive sins and to wipe them away. And so that's the immediate context here. But, but that understanding of baptism fits the greater context of Scripture. Go back to where Jesus introduces baptism as what's something that the church should do as, as the Great Commission. He goes, says, go, and then he says, make disciples. That's the command there, make disciples. And then he says to do it by what? Baptizing and by teaching. It's not insignificant that, that he starts with baptism. That, that one of the ways disciples are made is, is by baptism. That's not a work of man. That's a work of God. That, that this understanding that, that Peter gives fits with what baptism is described at elsewhere within Scripture. And what a wonderful blessing it is for us to know that there's a time and a place in which God called us as his own, made us his, gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so those moments when we wonder about our place before God, we might even doubt our faith or our place before him because we've sinned or we're going through a difficult time, we can go back to our baptism and remember, no, I am a child of God based on his work on me, not mine. So my, my faith, my place isn't dependent upon me. My, my, my place is dependent upon God and his act. But again, we must do this in love and respect. Um, but this is where the difficult part comes in, right? Because now it becomes a debate. You're, you're not talking to someone who just wants to know and is unsure, but you're often talking about something to someone who already disagrees with you. And this isn't just true of baptism. It's other things within the church, other teachings that, that we have conversations with fellow Christians that, that unfortunately sometimes become a debate once again. We want to win points. We, we want, to, want to make sure that, that we win the debate. But Peter's reminding us that that's not the purpose. Whenever we're talking to someone and we're using the word of God, we're doing so to increase faith, strengthen faith. That we use it not to win a debate, but to help. To strengthen the faith of, of one another, to grow closer to God. And, and that's what we have to keep in mind. And that guards our tongue and our mind. To, to do it rightly and properly. Because we have to remember, God wants all people to be saved. That's, that's his plan. And we see this in the text, right? God, Peter speaks about the, the time of Noah and God's great patience. And elsewhere he speaks of Noah as a preacher of righteousness. That, that the sending of the flood in this middle of this great judgment that God is bringing, he sends a prophet to call upon for people to repent. His desire is that all people are to be saved. And we as his children are to always have that in our mind. And when we do that, um, we speak with graciousness. We speak the truth. But we do with gentleness and with kindness. Because that's who we are as a child of God. Again, I've spent a lot of time talking about being prepared to give an account. But the most important part about this, though, is that it doesn't rely upon you. It's the Lord that prepares you. It's the Lord who called you and made you a child of God. It's the Lord that feeds you and nourishes you with his word. 
It's the Lord who will speak with you and through you. That's the promise, that he will give the words to speak. All we do is prepare. We, we are in his word. We're, we're like we are today. We're hearing his word. That's where our heart is prepared. And then God, by his spirit working through us, will give the words to speak. We rely not upon ourselves, but upon him. Because he is the one we belong to. We belong to him now and forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guide our hearts and minds to true faith. Life everlasting. Amen.